So I think that's all my announcements, but uh, what we have going on tonight is something really, really cool. I believe this lady has been around here almost as long as I've been, and she's been a part of the room. She's been a part of the leadership team. She's one of our training coaches. In other words, she trains all of our facilitators and folks like that. But will you guys welcome B as she comes up to share her story with us? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for um, just a time in our day, in our week, where we get to sit and just focus on you. I just pray that tonight you would help us to put our eyes on you and that um, you would be glorified through every aspect of tonight, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in my life and what you continue to do to many, many in this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ in recovery for codependency. My name is Beatrice. I was born in a small town in Mexico, the middle, of, the middle child to what would become a family of seven. My dad, by the time I was born, was a recovering alcoholic who I never really saw take a drink once. My mother died with cancer when I was three, and I don't remember her. After mom died, dad came to California to work and to provide for us. We were pretty poor and my dad struggled to make ends meet there. So he left us under the care of my grandma, a devoted Catholic who had 12 children of her own and many other grandkids, as you can imagine. Early in my life, I learned that there is a God. Grandma made sure of that. She took us to church every Sunday and every weekday for that matter. She would wake us up at six in the morning and take us all to daily mass. She'd put us in every church play and choir just as soon as we were talking, it seems. Despite knowing and being surrounded by so much church, I would not get to hear of salvation through Christ until many, many, many years later. But instead, I grew up believing that if I was good enough, I would go to heaven. But if I was bad, I would go to hell. Not only did I know about God from her influence, but all of the town celebrations revolved around our church. At the age of four, my place of celebration, our town church, would change for me. A priest from our church touched me inappropriately and continued to do so for some time. This was the first incident of several sexual encounters that I would have as a child, and I wouldn't deal with it any of it and talk until I came to recovery. My dad returned home and remarried when I was seven. Two years later, we would leave Mexico and come to the U.S. Many miles away from my grandma and from the God influence that she'd had in us. Nonetheless, we were now here, and I liked it here. It was very different from home. Here, we had food all the time, and cafeteria food to me was a treat coming from a place of poverty believe it or not I absolutely loved cafeteria food I still do to this day it's a problem for me I was thankful that we had school supplies a color TV and even our own toys but adjusting to the new culture caused great anxiety and continuous fear in my daily life I learned to hide this anxiety and fear very well and to live a double life the one at home where I knew the truth of where I came from 
and the one outside of our home where I faked belonging. School was a big part of my life, but it wasn't easy. Academically, I did well, but socially, I always felt less than and awkward. Besides not knowing the customs, I didn't speak English at first, and when I started to learn it, I spoke it with an accent, which made me very self-conscious. Thrift stores and Goodwill clothes were a huge step up to what I had in my town in Mexico. But when I compared it to my classmates, it just didn't seem to measure up in my eyes. During this time, my dad, tired of five teenagers who disgruntled every weekend to go to church, gave us a choice if we wanted to attend church or not. And I and the rest of my siblings said, no, thank you. It now seemed boring and a lot of it didn't make sense to me. At 11, I found a porn magazine inside a drawer in our house bathroom. When I saw it, I was scared, but also intrigued. Even though I knew it was wrong and I feared it, I kept it a secret and kept coming back to it. This started a chain of reaction of fantasizing, seeking out more magazines as well as TV, and of course, lying to cover all of it up. At this time, I also started wearing makeup at school and wiping it off on the way home to hide it from my family, never actually asking my dad if I could wear makeup, but always wanting to pursue my will without getting in trouble. I started dressing provocatively at school and flirting very openly with boys. All of this gave me a sense of fitting in, being needed, being in control, and an escape from my pain and fear that if anyone knew the real me, they would be disappointed and reject me. At 13, I became sexually active. I kept hearing that everybody was doing it, and I thought this would help me somehow to fit in with what I thought to be friends then. Soon after, I felt shame, disappointment, and embarrassment. And I even found out through my friends that actually, no, not everyone was doing it. Proverbs 3, 32 says, don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Such wicked people are detestable to the Lord, but he offers his friendship to the godly. My high school relationship showed red flags throughout. He would obsessively call me, spend the night sleeping outside of my house, break in through my window, drop all engagements to come and see me and miss classes to spend time with me. I would lie, deceive my dad to spend time with him, sneak him into my home, encourage his interest and desire for me, become enraged and jealous thoughts, and ruin any special holiday or occasion with my angry outbursts. This lifestyle would become the standard that I would use for many years to feel loved. If I was being mistreated, abused, but at least given enough attention, I felt loved. If anyone ever showed healthy love towards me, I soon became bored and insecure, and I pushed away in search of the rush and the feeling that somehow I instinctively seek to fill my void. We could not be together, yet didn't seem to find a way to separate, even when we would swear that we would never see each other again. After years of much turmoil and against the advice of many people, 
We moved in together at 18. I became pregnant at 20 and married shortly after. We lived together and we were able to avoid some of the most difficult problems for a while because I kept very busy trying to achieve self-worth and value in my full-time school, two jobs, trying to fix my husband and my siblings' problems. During this time, I got my college degree. We had nice cars and things, and we were looking to build careers, and we even bought a home. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. God blessed me with my first son, and shortly after he was born, now, having to stay at home, it became impossible to ignore the problems in our marriage. Faced with conflict, disappointment, and anger, in the midst of the chaos, I looked for comfort, attention, and approval where I knew I could get it in another male figure. At that time, he was a coworker, soon became someone I could confide all my problems with, and I soon became emotionally involved with him. This new involvement and blind hope for a better life with a different man is what pushed me to make the final decision and to seek a divorce. During this time, I never shared with anyone what was happening. I'd always been self-sufficient, and I'd rather suffer in silence but keep my pride and my will than to ask for help and risk being humble. A week after separating from my ex-husband, I found out that I was pregnant and came up with many reasons to justify why my baby should not live. The main one being that if I had another child, I would be less desirable to my new boyfriend, and I could not face that reality. Again, in search for the rush of a new relationship that I believe would surely take care of my pain, I made the choice to end my baby's life through an abortion. This was a horrible choice that although I know I have been forgiven for and today continue to receive God's healing and grace for, I know I will carry this with me for the rest of my life. Proverbs 14:12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I continued with my new boyfriend, and in fear of failing in a new relationship, I allowed this man to bring drugs into my home. I tried drugs myself with him, drank while my son was at home, and neglected my work, my family, and most importantly, my two-year-old baby. The little boy that looked up to me, I started to neglect. Sorry, I can't see. <laughs> I was so blinded by my sickness and guilt, I left my son many nights while I would drink and party with him. Sorry. Later to turn around and hate myself for the things I knew I was doing that were wrong. One of the most difficult nights of my life was the night when at a party I hugged a guy friend goodbye and my boyfriend enraged in a jealousy hit me, I would fall to the ground in fear for my life, call the police, they arrested him. Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Because back to him I went. In fact, 
I drove to the station the next day and bailed him out, paying with money I didn't have, and I put it on my credit card. But soon after this, my anger and rage started taking over. At that time, I knew that we couldn't continue like this. I'd heard of Big Valley Grace Church through a counselor that I had been going to during my divorce. One day, on my way to my dad's house, I saw a lot of cars pulling in for the service. I don't know why, but I pulled in. Right there, on Tullyroot. I came and I immediately liked the music. I soon heard of CR and started coming. My first times here at Celebrate Recovery, I remember being so ashamed of coming. And then when I got here, I would think of all kinds of reasons why I didn't belong here. I thought, this is just for alcoholics or addicts. I thought, I'm, I'm too young to be here. My life is not as messed up. So I, could, I would think of reasons to leave, but there was a woman here who always had a smile when she saw me. It wasn't one of those fake smiles that I was used to giving to others myself. It was different. She really seemed genuinely glad to see me. Like for some reason, it really mattered to her that I had come. So, warmed by that smile and that love, I thought I would stay, find out what that smile was all about. She soon invited me to serve dessert with her, and that was when I first started working the steps, and I didn't even know about it. I kept coming back the first few weeks, hoping that my boyfriend, who was the addict in my life, would stay in the program, because I thought if he stops doing the drugs, and he starts behaving the way he's supposed to, things would be perfect. Um, I couldn't see my problems at all. But soon after, I kept coming and I learned that changing my boyfriend was not the loving thing to do, but that instead it had been the coward thing to do. Yes, he had a serious addiction to deal with, but I was attending recovery taking the easy way out. My whole life, I had been trying to take the easy way out. See, if I managed to change him, then I didn't have to face my own addiction. I was addicted to pleasing him, to getting his attention and approval, to making him laugh, to making him desire me, provoking jealousy thoughts in him, making sure he got things done, making sure he said the right things, ate the right things, but first and foremost, addicted to him. Even if we were living in the most sickest way possible, I could not let go of him. As much as I tried, he had become my idol. I was not only addicted to him, but also to the chaotic life that my, in my sick eyes proved that he loved me. On one side, I wanted it all to end. On the other side, I couldn't bear to live without it. This is about the time when I first admitted what Romans 7:18 says. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Very soon after, circumstances would push my addict to move back home to Texas and leave me here 
begging him not to leave. How could he not see what a beautiful life we had? God is awesome, and besides my kicking and screaming, he separated us. This is when I can honestly say my recovery really began. I had no man to turn to now, and with a little bit of recovery knowledge, and only by the grace of God, that in January of 2007, God gave me the grace, and I made the greatest decision of my life, and I gave my life to Christ. This time, this time, though, I knew of his love for me, his sacrifice for me, and his power over my life. And now, I knew that, yes, heaven and hell were real, but that I would never be good enough to earn it, but that also I didn't need to earn it because as long as I had accepted what Jesus had already done and truly gave my life to him, I would get to spend eternity with him because of what he did. There was a new step study, and I joined it. During the third step, as I truly surrender for the first time my will in my life, I also ask God to relieve me of my addiction to the men and that sick desire for attention that I seek in them. God is so faithful. With the support of my sponsor in that step study group, he gave me the strength shortly after to stop the unhealthy contact that I kept having with my ex-boyfriend. Psalm 116, four through six expresses what I feel. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. After this miracle in my life, I had a desire to get to know who this powerful God was and how this recovery thing really worked. I'd heard in the rooms of recovery a recommendation, stay single out of a new relationship for the first year of recovery. I knew this was an area of my life that I had never been able to stay sober in, but I wanted desperately to do it. So I committed to stay out of a relationship for a year. This is really hard at first and required lots of honesty and change. I had to be really intentional about everything I did because men and lust were my addiction. I got a new phone number and I made a personal rule to only give my number out to women. Well, I failed at this, so I got another phone number, gave it another try. And by the time this was done, I'd had a few new phone numbers. I avoided eye contact with men as this in the past would easily initiate flirtatious behaviors. Reevaluated the way I dressed, places I went to, stopped male relationships that were just friends, but somehow met my emotional needs. Started attending recovery meetings three times a week, church every week, talked to my sponsor regularly, started serving in the dessert table, read recovery books, listened to testimonies, and started for the first time in my life to read my Bible. Romans 7, 6 says, So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. 
but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. The fourth step, though it was a lot of work, is also by far such a practical step for me. During this step, I got to finally write and share about my abuse, about my hate for myself for not screaming to the top of my lungs and running away, about my shame and all the sin I had been part of. I got to write about the fear I had growing up, the anger, the fear I had even to God because I blamed him for so many things in my life, about the abortion, the affair, anything and everything that had once brought shame in my life that I had worked so hard to hide and keep a secret was finally out, and the freedom that came with that was amazing. During my fifth step, I experienced God's love through my sponsor as she listened and didn't condemn. She didn't criticize, she didn't reject me. In fact, she showed compassion, love, and she truly cared for me. She prayed for me and for my continued healing. It was freeing not only because I got to voice it out loud to God and to my sponsor, but because I now had God in my life. And God used this time in a very loving way. He allowed me to let these things out, and somehow I was able to let go of the shame, and instead I was filled with compassion and love. Soon after that, I started experiencing moments of peace for the first time in my life, and I felt joy again. Steps six, seven, and eight came easier for me. After doing an honest inventory on myself, I realized I am messed up. I mean, truly, I could honestly look at you and say, I'm a liar, a thief, a crook. I am a murderer, an adulterer. I am selfish, critical, harsh and very unloving at times. And all that step six called me to do with these character defects was become entirely ready to have God remove them from my character. Well, after looking at them for a while, I definitely felt ready. During step seven, I was to humbly ask him to remove my shortcomings on his timing, not mine. This required humility and faith which thanks to the previous steps, I had gathered some of those two things to make this request. Steps eight and nine, making amends, required some more work for me, but also brought the most reward in my recovery journey. Some amends were very humbling, like writing letters of apology to those who I mistreated in the past, which included my dad and siblings. Other amends have been more complicated such as dealing with legal and immigration issues. There are many other amends, some financial, a few that were put on hold until God's timing allows, and others that could only be done as living amends. One of those living amends was to my son. He was very young when I entered recovery, and a letter of apology just didn't make any sense to him then. Instead, I've had to work hard to make living amends this included making a serious commitment to stay single. Oh, sorry. And after this commitment, 
God started to show me the beauty and the gift of being a mom. I began to see my boy through sober eyes, and even better, through God's eyes. And for the first time in a long time, I started engaging with him, playing with him, cooking for him, and doing all the things I'd always wanted to do and be for him. I was so caught up in my addiction that I had neglected him his first years. But through recovery, we became a family, and I couldn't be more humbled that the God of this universe, oh, I can't read again, would put one of his beloved children in my care. Well, now I have three beloved children under my care, but back then I had one. My son is now a young man, enduring his own life choices and his own faith journey. I am so thankful that he allows me to be part of that. The many lessons I've learned in my recovery journey all have come into play as I get to watch this one dependent little boy become independent, he's 17 now, and at times seemingly pulling away so forcefully from where I would have him. Why don't they just do what I tell them to? I find myself saying the serenity prayer and focusing on step one, reminding myself my life and the lives of the others around me are not manageable by me, but by my higher power, Jesus Christ. This allows me to be grateful, to just, be, to just get to be part of the journey, not the driver, but just a grateful passenger. There can be challenges in, parent, there can be challenges, challenges in parenting a young man his age, but I will forever be grateful that God has allowed the steps of recovery in my life, which have allowed me to be present physically, emotionally, and spiritually for him and my two other children in this stage of my life. Thanks to this program, I had the experience of being happily single for six years, and during those years, I truly experienced some of the greatest joys of my life. I have girlfriends for the first time, having a sponsor that knows me in and out, the good, bad, and ugly, and returning to her time and time again, not running away for fear of being known. After six years, the Lord brought into my life the most amazing and handsome Dodger fan that you can imagine, my husband, Josh. With him, I was able to experience courtship and marriage in such a godly manner. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, isn't he? He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. Psalm 145.8, Today, I am continually working my 10th and 11th step to the best of my ability. And these steps continue my growth. The step that keeps me the most grounded and gives me the greatest joy is the 12th step of giving back. I'm blessed to get to facilitate open share groups, have facilitated step studies, sponsor, and I'm honored to get to be part of the CR leadership team and help out with trainings. As life gets busier, it has been crucial for me to have serving commitments 
that keep my eyes on Jesus and in these steps. To the newcomer, if you're anything like me, perhaps you're scared, tired, and anxious, and possibly sitting way in the back like I used to, that's okay. We are glad you're here. I would like to encourage you to give this program a chance. Give yourself a chance. This thing called recovery, although vague and perhaps strange at first, is doable. Pour yourself into it. I would encourage you to attend at least three meetings a week, if not more. Get a sponsor and start serving today. You are needed and wanted here. I pray that you too may notice the smiles that are genuinely so happy to see you, that you would know that you already do matter to many of us. To all of you, my Celebrate Recovery family, thank you, thank you for how you love me so well. You have given me a safe place to come to every Tuesday, no matter where I'm at, for not only watching me grow one day at a time, but also for holding me up when it's gotten difficult. Thank you for your open heart, and above all, for continuing to show up. It has made all the difference in this codependent's life. Thank you for letting me share tonight.